Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone. This is Gustavo Gutierrez Suarez, one of the hosts of New Books in Film, a podcast series of New Books Network. Today, we are here with Dr. René Arcila, Professor of Philosophy of Education in the Steinhardt School of Education at New York University. Dr. Arcila has wrote Mediumism, a Philosophical Reconstruction of Modernism for Existential Learning, published by the State University of New York Press. Why aren't philosophers and educators speaking to each other? published by Educational Theory, and For the Love of, per of Perfection, Richard Rorty and Liberal Education, published by Rutledge. Hello, Professor Arcila, and welcome to New Books in Film. Hi, Gustavo. It's a real pleasure to be here and to meet you. I look forward to our conversation. Professor Arcila, um, before we start to talk about your book itself, could you please tell us a bit about your academic life and the previous work you have been doing? Sure, I, I'd, I'm happy to. Um, so I basically uh, grew up in Chicago. I was born to Filipino parents and spent my life, uh, most of my childhood in, on the south side of Chicago. Uh, I eventually ended up at the University of Chicago there, and um, during the, this time, uh, the, the university was a famously austere place. Their students were always complaining about the fact that there's very little in the way of social life. Uh, uh, the big slogan at the time was, this is where fun goes to die. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> You know, basically, as a student there, the only things that you could do were either hang out at the library um, or uh, attend the screenings of this very famous film society there uh, by the name of Doc Films. Um, I believe it's like maybe the first uh, student-run film society in the United States and uh, continues to this day. 
So uh, I began to do uh, the latter, and um, I was really surprised because, uh, you know, as, as a boy, I, I sort of uh, thought that I understood what movies were. And uh, while I, I enjoyed watching them, I didn't really think much about them. Um, but beginning to see films from all over the world, beginning to see uh, a very a- ambitious, um, formally interesting films really opened my eyes, and I became a real lover of that particular art form. The other thing, of course, that happened to me at the University of Chicago is I became interested in philosophy. So um, eventually I decided to follow that path in life. Um, I pursued my philosophical studies and eventually became interested specifically in um, philosophical conceptions of education. You know, what does it mean when we say that we're, uh, we place an enormous value on education. What exactly is education? Um, uh, how do we best understand its place in our lives and, um, and not just think of it as something that takes place in schools, but as something that uh, is part of our experience uh, even outside of schools? So a lot of that is the topic of, of this book, um, as we'll, I'm sure, talk about. Um, Vim Vender's movies, particularly his road movies, really helped me think about uh, this larger uh, sense of um, education and its place in our lives. Now, um, how did you become interested in Vim Vender's films and, and how did you start to work on this book? Could you please tell us about um, the genesis and the process behind it? Sure. Um, so, uh, as I mentioned earlier, when I was a college student, I was watching films from all around the world. And I still remember the first time that I saw um, Kings of the Road, um, you know, Vendor's film of, uh, I think it was 1976, something like that. Uh, it really made an impression on me, uh, something about its very relaxed pace um, the way it, exp- it explored the lives of uh, two men who uh, were feeling a bit lost in their lives and how they come together uh, through chance, through this encounter um, while traveling, and then eventually regain some sense of direction in their lives. All of that made a huge impression on me. And I continued to follow Vim Vender's films uh, throughout the rest of my adult life. Um, And of course, uh, you know, as I discuss in my book, uh, I think a lot of his films are rooted in this sense of life as a road, um, where the road is not just some specific um, device that you use to get from, say, one city to another city and so forth, but it's a way of thinking about the world in general. It's a way about thinking of, of, of life in general. Um, so uh, all of that uh, retained interest. Uh, but then again, as I began pursuing my um, professional life, I became more and more interested, as I said, in uh, thinking about education in the, in the largest possible sense. And, um, of course, uh, uh, um, 
when you just focus on schools, uh, what you see is um, a system that is ever more interested in simply specialized forms of knowledge, you know, trying to transmit these uh, special kinds of skills and uh, particular mm-hmm. pieces of information and so forth. But mm-hmm. you see very little interest in life as a whole. Um, so I was trying to get a sense of how does education address our lives as a whole? And um, at some point, maybe in the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, I started to become uh, particularly interested in this metaphor of a path, you know, of life as a kind of journey, but a journey that has a certain direction, hence a path. And uh, as I uh, pursued that metaphor, all of a sudden I remembered how meaningful Fender's films were. So that takes me to this book, right? The intersection of my love of uh, Wim Wenders' film uh, oeuvre on the one hand Mm -hmm. and thinking about education as a kind of path or journey on on the other. Right. Now, um, let's talk about the book itself. Um, Mm -hmm. You opened this book um, with a sort of um, science fiction tale, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I really found it um, very persuasive and also provocative. Um, Could you please relate this tale to our audience, please? And, And tell us, how did you come up with it? Yeah, that's uh yeah, that's funny how that you you bring that up. Yes. Uh <laughs> so it was a lot of fun uh coming up with that tale. Um it all came to me one morning and I, I couldn't believe it. It was one of those uh whatever uh <laughs> strokes of something, right? <laughs> Foolishness or genius, who knows. <laughs> uh but anyways, uh so I imagine a scenario where uh One day we encounter these outer space aliens and um, once the fear and the shock of all that has subsided, uh, the two species, ourselves on the one hand and the aliens on the other, decide to send to each planet these teams of anthropologists um, because we're both interested in each other. So uh, our anthropologist on the alien planet you know, uh, investigate around. They do their various studies. And what they discover is that uh, the aliens completely lack any conception of romantic love. Uh, There's plenty of sexual activity, of course, but all of it is on a commercial basis where basically people, uh, you know, there, there are these monetary exchanges for the pleasures, for this particular set of pleasures. And, um, and everything is, is completely, uh, you know, there, there's no moralistic judgment about this for the aliens. This is perfectly fine. Um, it's assumed that everybody has an interest in sexual pleasure um, and they're just paying for a service like anything else. Um, and of course, uh, the nature of this pleasure is very circumscribed, you know, and um, very defined. Now, for us on Earth, all of this is, of course, this enormous shock. And uh, all the uh, people, there's a big outcry, you know. Um, these barbarians don't even know what love is. And there's this uh, 
growing movement on Earth to uh, deport the aliens and build an interstellar war uh, wall, <laughs> uh, and uh, you know all this hysteria. Uh, but uh, as this comes to a, a culmination, all of a sudden the aliens uh, uh, tell us, uh, "Listen, we 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 we're leaving your planet, and we don't want to have anything to." more to do with you. And of course, now we're sort of surprised at this and we say, why? And it's because the alien, the aliens explain, well, you have this strange conception of education where basically uh, people uh, are interested in these very specific uh, skills, forms of knowledge and know-how and so forth. And they're willing to pay money for it, or at least have those services subsidized in some form by the government. Um, but there's little attention to uh, the true nature of this and the way in which it uh, shapes our lives as a whole. And so to them, that's uh, really degrading and barbaric, and they don't want to uh, uh, see this um, spread to their young. So that's the essence of the tale. And uh, as you said, it was, it was meant to be provocative. It was meant to try to uh, move readers quickly out of their uh, normal, conventional ways of thinking, uh, particularly thinking about education, and to consider, well, um, what could there be a certain possibility that we are overlooking in our lives? Could there be a whole way of thinking about education that we've somehow neglected, uh, that we've um, uh, looked past? And um, could that offer certain attractions to us that maybe would, would draw us to want to explore it further in the same way that we could imagine uh, these aliens being intrigued by the idea of romantic love uh, as something that's separate from, that's qualitatively different from um, their idea of commodified sexual pleasure. So that's the point of the of the uh, introduction. Yeah. And now, um, immediately, um, you mentioned one of the first questions uh, posed in the book, which is, um, how could there be a dimension of education distinguished from learning? Uh, how, how should we, uh, the readers, understand this question? Mm -hmm. So, um, in the book, I discuss that the, the word education has uh, two etymological roots, um, two roots in the Latin language. So the first is um, uh, related to, is this word educare, which means to raise, to nurture, to bring up children or bring up uh, any, any sort of being. And um, I try to uh, uh, suggest that this is the predominant definition that we have of education today. Uh, when we think about, the, when we immediately think about education, we think about, of course, children and uh, mm -hmm. our uh, uh, desire to help them become uh, uh, mature, functioning adults. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> and we think that uh, the most important thing to, that we can do to assist them in this maturation process is on the one hand, um, you know, take care, help take care of their physical bodies, keep them healthy, uh, and so forth. But uh, equally importantly, and maybe even arguably a little more importantly, uh, we want to give them the skills, the knowledge, the information that enables them to navigate in the world, to find their place in the world, to establish a a self-reliant lifestyle, and so forth. And this is, of course, the mission of the schools. So Mm -hmm. all of that is one of the main roots of, of the very meaning of education. But the other um, etymological uh, root of education is this Latin word educera, which means uh, to lead out, uh, to draw out. So um, in the book, I I try to argue that this second um, meaning of education is is less attended to. Uh, We tend to overlook this, uh, but it has some some really intriguing nuances to it. First of all, it implies some kind of movement outward, as if life itself were always moving out from the familiar to the less familiar, from the known world to the less known world. So there's that journey theme. Um, But then also, interestingly, there's this idea that the journey is... um, uh, guided by, is motivated by some source of attraction, something that pulls us, something that draws us. Um, So, you know, we can think of eros in the largest possible sense, you know, that we're attracted to something. And so uh, this suggests that we can think of life, um, the challenge of life is trying to find what it is that we're attracted to and try to draw closer to it. And uh, once more, this is where I think we start to connect to what vendors means by the road, by the the dramas along the road, uh, the dramas that his protagonists live through, and so forth. Mm, Right. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, why is this idea of educere? Um, mm-hmm. of a movement outwards and being guided uh, crucial to your book uh, when you say you want to examine um, what we may be missing when we forget or neglect the experience of being let out. Right. So um, if we just think of education as a matter of knowledge acquisition, mm-hmm. um that ultimately suggests that, you know, we're looking for uh, an awareness of the world that enables us to master it in in some sense, that enables us to get what we want. So there's this sense of uh, this implication that I I already more or less know what I want. Uh, My desires are more or less set. And the crucial question is just, okay, how do, I, um, how do I facilitate the satisfaction of those desires? How do I uh, gratify those desires? What's going to mm-hmm. enable me to control the world so that I can do that? Um, now, 
in, 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 in the terminology that I introduced with this idea of being let out, that's as if we're staying in, right? That's as if we're staying inside ourselves and we're just trying to um, control this world. Whereas uh, the idea of being let out, uh, I want the emphasis. What I want to emphasize once more is this notion that we're moving to a place, to a world that's less familiar, where we don't really even know what we want, you know, let alone how to get it, let alone how to control the world. So, what's crucial to us is perhaps less a form of knowledge, or less kinds of skills and. Um, information, and more just how do I uh, recognize um, what is attracting me? How do I find the uh, capacity to yield to that attraction? How do I make judgments about this attraction, about what is um, promising in that attraction, but also what is dangerous or destructive about that attraction? All of these are um, ingredients of a certain kind of human drama. Mm-hmm. And uh, once more, that's what really, uh, what I really got out of the films, that they're, uh, they give us case studies of this drama in, in action. Mm-hmm. Now, um, the books, um, as, you, as you mentioned, um, the book aims to present a philosophical theory of the nature of education, right? As leading mm-hmm. out. Um, of why is it important and of how we may cultivate it in our current situation. Could you explain, please, uh, more about this philosophical educational objective uh, of your book, please? And, and, and how can we find answers to these questions in, in road movies? Right. So um, initially when I started becoming interested in this in this theme, in this question, what is education as lead, as being as leading out, mm-hmm. or maybe more precisely, what is education as an experience of being let out? Mm-hmm. Um, my first impulse, being a philosopher, uh, was to just try to develop some kind of the- theoretical uh, explanation of that. You know, mm-hmm. to write in very abstract language. Mm-hmm. Um, But I, the more I thought about it, uh, the more I discussed this with friends and colleagues, I began to realize that there was a, a real danger in, in approaching the question that way um, because mm-hmm. it, it loses the connection to concrete experience. It loses um, the sense that this is really part of many people's lives as opposed to some very esoteric Uh, um, you know, point of interest of a, of a philosopher. Uh, so uh, I wanted to connect to something concrete. I wanted to try to persuade readers that I wasn't just talking about um, some uh, idiosyncratic theory that I or maybe a very small number of philosophers of education happened to be interested in, but that this is really uh, touching on a part of experience that many of us have felt in some way or uh, lived through in some way. And so um, I think, you know, uh, 
that's of course uh, what the arts are very good about. Uh, they provide us with with um, portraits of of human dramas. Uh, we were all invited to recognize ourselves, despite the very the specificity of those dramas. And uh, and cinema is, of course, especially powerful. Or at least one of the, the the powers of cinema is through its being a photographic medium. Um, we see the world that we all recognize. Um, we see a certain um, parts of that world presented very objectively. Um, like this is this is what a chair looks like. This is what a place in uh, Germany looks like. This is uh, what a place in Texas looks like, and so forth. And so, uh, always the emphasis is on the concreteness of it, on the fact that this is open to public experience, uh, even as the the films, of course, also explore some of the subjective inner life of its characters. Mm-hmm. Um, now, road movies in general uh, shows us stories of how travel makes a um, crucial difference to its characters. Mm-hmm. Um, how um, how did you choose, or how do you choose uh, which plots fit this characteristic in cinema, in cinema, and maybe in literature? Yeah. So. Um... I made a decision early on that I was going to focus on cinema uh, because one of the things that cinema, I think, emphasizes more than literature. I mean, you can never say it's never black and white, right? It's always elements of degrees and, and, and grays. But literature, um, since we, uh, it always comes from an, uh, a writer sitting, writing words on a page, uh, there's more of a sense of a certain experience is being described retrospectively. You know, the person is, is remembering what uh, it felt like to live through this particular experience and so forth. Um, and, uh, uh, and so you're getting a kind of backward look. Uh, even though that backward look is also f- filled with a certain understanding that maybe is is there now that wasn't there when one actually lived it. Mm-hmm. Now, cinema, of course, has elements of that, but um, the thing with cinema, cinema that, that particularly fascinates me is there's always at the bottom of cinema, and here I'm, I suppose I'm drawing a lot on the work of André Bazin, You know, there, there, there's always at the bottom of cinema this sense that a certain moment is actually being documented as it happens. You know, um, that uh, what we're seeing, even though there's all this trappings of a fictional story on top of it and maybe certain special effects and makeup and whatnot, uh, but nevertheless, uh, a moment is actually being captured as it happens. And so I think of cinema as something that's tied more firmly to the present tense. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to uh, explore, okay, um, what does this experience of losing one's way and then finding one's way look at, look like, or feel like, particularly when we emphasize this present tense nature of that experience. So as you mentioned, I... I eventually turned to um, 
the genre of road movies. And uh, as I explained in my book, um, it's actually not the case that um, that this is explored in, in all road movies. I think there's lots of road movies where the interest is elsewhere. Um, mm-hmm. The interest is on uh, people who are escaping from society or in troubled relationships with society and so forth. Mm-hmm. But I try to argue, uh, this is one of the main burdens I take up in the book, I try to persuade readers mm-hmm. that what's distinctive about Vim Vender's road movies is that they have this educational theme at the center of it. There's stories about uh, travelers who lose their way and then find their way. Um, I think that's the basic drama in all of these films. And at least that's what I try to bring out as I look at one film after another. And which Wim Wenders films do you prioritize for the purposes of the book and why? Yeah, so um, I tried to look at all the films that um, involve, that, that can be construed as stories about a journey. Um, so all of those films I tried to touch on. But I explained that at least one of those films is arguably not a, an education film, and that's Lisbon's mm-hmm. Story. Um, uh, and I also try to look at films, uh, a little other films of his, where the journey, the, the road journey, is more metaphorical. So even though the, the characters don't necessarily travel in a car or on some other vehicle across long distances. Nevertheless, um, it's uh, plausible to understand their story as a kind of journey, uh, maybe a more inner journey. Uh, and these are the films that I call education movies. Uh, maybe the most famous of that is um, Wings of Desire, because we see um, an angel Uh, becoming human. Uh, and, uh, and then I talk about some of the other later films that I think uh, where there's also this metaphorical desire, like uh, everything will be fine and uh, Palermo shooting and, and, and a few others. But, uh, but the main focus was, was on these road movies. And uh, as I explained in the book, I think his, his, um, His initial groundbreaking film in that regard, and maybe his best one, actually, in my taste at least, is, is Alice in the Cities. So I devote a whole chapter to Alice in the Cities, and then I talk about how some of the succeeding films like Kings of the Road, Paris, Texas, uh, Until the End of the World, um, Land of Plenty, and Don't Come Knocking are sort of variations on the themes that we find in Alice in the Cities. Mm-hmm. Now, um, to, to end uh, this, this first part, um, how do Wim Wenders' road movies help us to establish and elaborate uh, the overarching contrast between education without learning and learning without education? Yeah, so I think it's... It's fairly simple. On the one hand, um, the films 
really don't show much interest in learning as such. They don't show much interest in education as only learning. What we see are characters who don't really seem to take much, uh, who don't seem to care about or rely on any form of learning um, as such. So uh, on the one hand, we are, the, the, the implication is that it's possible and indeed, we, we spend much of our lives, much, much of our time living our lives without relying on learning. Uh, that's on the one hand. That's the sort of negative point. Mm-hmm. But the more interesting positive point, the much more richer point, is once more that I, I, I try to explain that these films um, uh, uh, introduce us to these dramas where characters are uh, living out an experience of being let out, um, of being educated in um, in that particular sense, and so uh, you know they're struggling with the question of okay, what well, what's the direction of my life? Um, how do I recover from the sense that I, I feel lost and I feel that my life is not making any sense, doesn't have much meaning. Uh, how do I recover from that and uh, start to um, move closer to a sense that my life makes sense? It has a direction. I'm moving towards something that attracts me. So that's the educational drama. And I think all of these movies give us examples of how to think about that drama. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned um, to be educated is to be on the road. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, why why might this be good for us it's good for us because uh i think okay i i think that periodically we can fall into these crises where we think we feel that our life is becoming stale that um we're trapped or imprisoned in the same old world um, and that we feel because we're trapped in, in repetition, we feel that none of this makes much sense anymore. It's not very fulfilling. I, we no longer understand the point of, of doing this. Uh, in that sense, uh, using the metaphor, we've gotten off the road um, or Alternatively, sometimes we feel that, yes, we're, we're moving, our life is moving around, but it's moving around in, in such a chaotic, uh, uh, aimless way that um, we don't even know what the point of the movement is anymore. We're just wandering around lost. And there's this restlessness that's constantly taking us around, but we don't feel that we're getting any getting closer to anything that's fulfilling. So to be educated, to be on the road, is to uh, periodically um, enjoy those moments when we say, oh, okay, uh, at least temporarily, I feel like my life is moving. Uh, it's I, I'm no longer trapped by anything. I'm no longer wandering aimlessly in, in some desert. Uh, and, uh, and I'm being drawn by something that, um, that really attracts me. 
you know, that, uh, that in some way I'm, I'm starting to love. So that's what I think is fulfilling about it. Let's move to the um, book itself. Um, let's review each of the chapters, right? Um, okay. The book contains uh, six chapters. Um, one, Alice in the Cities. Two, related road movies. Three, genre contrasts. Four, education movies. Five, learning without education. And finally, um, six, coda. And mm -hmm. how did you decide to uh, structure your book uh, this way? Well, um, so I wanted to, uh, the, the, perhaps the central um, aim of the book is to establish this connection between um, the road movies of Vim Benders and uh, this idea of education as being let out. Um, so the burden is on me to try to persuade readers that uh, these road movies of, of vendors are best read with a sense of um, how they dramatize this, this uh, experience of being let out. Um, so I start off by basically um, taking a close look at uh, um, the first uh, road movie of Enders, a movie that he thought that he claims was really groundbreaking for him. He said he, f he found in this movie, his own individual voice. I believe it was actually his, his third film or, th or maybe fourth film actually. Um, but, uh, but in any case, um, Al it's Alice in the cities. And so I try to explain how we can understand this drama that the, the main characters go through in this educational fashion. Um, then I turn in the, in the next chapter to look at how um, these other films of, of vendors uh, relate themselves to Alice in the Cities, how they could be seen as variations um, on, uh, on that basic story. Um, the story that is of Alice in the Cities. Uh, throughout this, I want to not make any assumptions at the start that we know what a road movie is. Um, I, I mean, I, I understand, of course, that it's a, it's a fairly familiar term. Um, you know, film critics use it all the time, and, and most readers have a general sense when they encounter it of what that term is referring to. You know, some movie that has to do with a with a journey on the road, um, but I, I I try to approach that uh, that term as if we don't exactly know what it means, and so try to uh, work out the details of how what are the family resemblances in these various dramas that vendors takes up in, in takes up in these films. So those are uh, chapters. Uh, I believe two and three um, after the introduction. And then chapter four is uh, the genre contrast. So I, I try to situate this sense of the road movie by uh, comparing it to some um, neighboring genres, in particular, some uh, kinds of movies that they resemble, but that they are distinctly not. So I try to, to establish the differences. And the, the differences that I focus on is between the, the fictional road movie on the one hand and the non-fictional travelogue on, on the other. Uh, 
then also because I'm claiming that uh, um, the road movies have this interest in um, destiny, in education as destiny, I try to establish a contrast between that and film noir, where there's this interest in fate. Um, and finally, I try to say a little bit more about why Vim Vender's road movies are unlike uh, the road movies of many other auteurs, many other directors. So that's what takes place in the genre contrast uh, chapter. Um, in the following chapter, we, uh, we turn to this idea of the education movie. So this is a term that I've coined. Um, I don't really know of any other discussion of education movies as a genre. But I try to... Um, explain that if we expand the idea of road in Wim Wenders' films and the particular kind of dramas that he looks at, if we expand that to incorporate or to include um, stories where the road is metaphorical, where there is no literal road, but where characters go through some kind of journey where they uh, become different people, at the end from what they were at the beginning and where this transformation involves some sense of being let out, some sense of being attracted to something and discovering a sense of direction in one's life that way, then we can call such a movie an education movie. And, um, and this gives us a way to think of Vendor's Road movies as a, a subgenre of this larger genre of the education movie. Finally, um, uh, after, after that chapter is the chapter where I, I return to the, the question of education per se. I try to contrast this idea of education as destiny, education as being let out on the one hand, uh, more precisely from the notion of education as learning, education as knowledge acquisition. And the coda is really just a semi-humorous return to the alien story that we that we talked about uh, a little while ago, uh, where I imagine uh, an, an alien anthropologist saying, hey, you know, maybe these earthlings are not so hopeless after all. Maybe even though we can't find what we call education in their schools, maybe this education actually exists in their cinema. And maybe there's ways in which uh, they're starting to appreciate this notion of education as being let out um, in that cinema that could be amplified in some way or nourished in some way. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. 
Book your stay today at LQ.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So that's a quick tour of the book. <laughs> okay. Now, um, let's let's review some some uh, main ideas of, of each chapter. Um, what, what would you say that um, the main idea in Alice in the City is, uh, would be in the first chapter? And, and, and why did you choose... Uh, Why did you choose to start uh, your exposition, your explanation with, with this specific film? Yeah, well, um, first of all, uh, I can't resist just uh, stepping back a bit and um, saying to your listeners, uh, if you haven't seen Alice in the Cities, you should go see it because it's it's a beautiful film. Even if you don't care about education at all, it's it's just a beautiful film. Um, and, uh, and there's so many things that are beautiful of, uh, about it. Um, the pace of it is so interesting. It's so relaxed in a way. Um, and, uh, and the story of this sort of drifting young man who encounters, uh, um, uh, a young girl And uh, this experience they share as their drifting slowly becomes a quest is, uh, is, is beautifully done. So um, to be honest, I started with Alice, not only because Venders himself testifies that it was his, um, the first movie that he was really proud of and that, and that he really uh, discovered his voice, but also because I, I, I just personally think it's a, it's, it's a beautiful movie. It's a very strong movie. Um, And what interests me, right, is, uh, as I've been saying, this drama where we see the camera opens on this young man. He's a, he's a German, a young German fellow who's wandering around the U.S. and he's somewhat lost. Um, and he's obsessed with photography, which is interesting. He's, he's trying to see if he can capture Uh, the real the, the real world, his experiences in the world in photographs, but he finds that the harder he tries, the more that experience eludes him. And so we start to get a sense that uh, photography for this for this young man uh, represents the um, conviction that his experience are really real, that they matter somehow, that they, um, add up into some kind of coherent whole that um, his life has a certain coherence to it. So all of this is apparently missing. And because he's become so preoccupied with this, he can no longer tell a story about himself or tell a story about his journey. So he's all set to return home in defeat. Um, he has no more money. And then as the movie um, shows us, he by chance falls in with uh, this mother and daughter who are also ready to return back to Germany. Uh, 
because of a plane, uh, uh, a flight strike. Um, they're having trouble doing that. Um, I won't necessarily go through the whole story. I uh, don't want to give it away also to, to many of your viewers if you haven't seen it. But uh, anyways, the, the young man and the, and, and, the, and the young girl end up uh, traveling together. Um, they're somewhat forced together. They don't really want to be together. Uh, but uh, the young man decides to help the young girl find um, some family. And they are wandering around Germany looking for the grandmother of this girl. Um, and somewhere along their journey, um, they become family, if you will. They fall into a certain kind of conversation where they become comfortable with each other. Um, and when that happens, all of a sudden, uh, the young man starts to feel reoriented in life. Um, and he starts to, uh, in particular, appreciate the freshness of the vision of this young girl. So she shows him a world that is constantly appearing, a world that is more real than the photographs that he was taking in the, in the U.S. And um, I end my discussion of film by, by focusing on four questions, which I then go on to suggest recur again and again and again in Vendor's uh, cinema. So the questions are, first of all, um, who is being let out? You know, um, and uh, the question refers, on, on the one hand, the question is, is usually not difficult to, to figure out. It, it obviously refers us to whoever the main protagonist of a film is. But it also um, suggests, right, that we think about characterizing this person in terms of some quality that their life has as a whole, rather than some partial aspect of their life, you know. So we don't think about, uh, oh, Rene, for example, Rene is a professor at NYU. I mean, that's, that's a part of my life. But, um, you know, what I think these films show is that if I'm a character in one of these films, something about my life as a whole is revealed. Um, and it's usually some quality that pertains to my initial lostness. Um, and then second of all, the, the second question that I, I, I think Alice in the Cities helps us formulate is um, where is this protagonist being led from? So in all of these cases, in the, in the case of this film and in the case of the later films, uh, the character is usually in flight from something. It's usually um, traveling away from something, something that scares this person or that disturbs this person or that this person doesn't want to accept or rejects in some fashion. Uh, so that's the second question. The third question is, uh, where is this person being led to? So here we um, start to, uh, you know, open up the theme of what is the source of attraction? You know, what is pulling this person away from their previous life towards some um, more unknown future, but also a promising future in, in some sense. Um, and then finally, the fourth question is, what leads this person? You know, and in, in the case of Alice in the Cities, 
it's Alice and all she represents, um, her particular uh, kind of conversation, her way of looking at things, and, and so forth. So that's, that's, a, that's a brief summary of, her, of that chapter. I find interesting that um, at the end of this chapter, you conclude that <clears throat> it is not this young man who leads the little girl. It is the little girl, Alice, who leads uh, the young man, right? Yes, yes, exactly. I mean, it's not as if she deliberately do, does that. Um, she doesn't somehow think to herself, oh, I have something that this young man doesn't have, mm -hmm. uh, or I'm a teacher in, in, in that mm -hmm. fashion. Mm -hmm. But it's more that um, through her way of being in the world, she um, reveals uh, things that this young man uh, finds himself drawn to. Um, and, you know, I, I should mention, uh, this is a film that often challenges, I think, contemporary audiences, challenges some of the students I've tried to teach this film to. They feel really creeped out by the whole idea of, you know, older man, younger girl. They feel, they get squeamish about that, and they think, oh, no, is this going to be one of those, you know films where there's this pedophilia under the surface. I, I understand that that's, um, that, you know, I understand the nature of that concern. I understand, of course, that that concern has become more, um, uh, we're, we're more sensitive to that concern in our time than perhaps uh, uh, Vendors and his crew was in the 1970s. Um, but I ultimately try to argue, I hope, I hope I do a persuasive job, that that's not what's driving this young man. And the film isn't about that. It's about, um, the, like I said, primarily Alice's freshness of vision, uh, the way she looks at the world, that uh, Philip realizes that that's what he needs in, in some sense. Great. Now um, let's move to the... Um... Let's move on to the next uh, chapter, uh, Related Road Movies. Uh, wh what are the main contributions provided uh, um, by this chapter? Well, um, so as I mentioned earlier, um, I, I think of Vendor's other road movies as developing out of the success of Alice in the Cities. Um, And I, I see him um, continuing to explore this theme of, of being let out. Incidentally, maybe I, I, I should just make explicit this idea that when, uh, when I talk about being let out, which is a, a way of thinking about education, um, I'm associating that with the sense of destiny, right? The, when, I, when I'm let out, in a, in, when I'm... Uh, find a path to my life, I'm discovering my destiny. Um, so I'm, I'm suggesting that in, in these other later move, road movies, Vendors continues to be interested in stories about protagonists 
who are initially lost and then discover a sense of their destiny, uh, where destiny, I should also maybe emphasize, is always provisional. It's never, you know, we, none of us ever knows exactly how our life is going to end, and our life is always going to be open to taking strange turns and twists and so forth. But the drama is about saying, realizing, for now at least, here is the road I'm on. Here is my destiny. And initially, in the in the films that that Ven, particularly the film that ma- that vendors made right after Alice in the Cities, he maintained this very meandering t- tone, where that where um, the pace is very relaxed, and the movie is. Uh, is is wandering around. So um, in Kings of the Road, we see these two men um, who sort of happen to come together in um, in Germany, and uh, you know, and they travel around for a while, and uh, uh, neither one of them has much of a strong sense of purpose in their lives. Uh, one of them in particular is fleeing a marital crisis. He's, he seems to be having trouble with his spouse. Um, and at first they're drawn together and then eventually they're drawn apart. And the movie is very relaxed. Um, and we, uh, and part of at the center of their drama is this um, worry about how do you... Um, bridge the chasm that separates men from women, you know? Um, how do we reach across this great divide uh, that, uh, well, this divide between the genders, which in some sense is, uh, is uh, exacerbated or um, uh, emphasized by all the sort of exploitative imagery that, uh, you know, our culture has about women. So the movie, uh, the film wrestles with that um, and reaches a point um, where the two characters eventually um, rediscover a sense of direction in their lives. Um, And then the later films from Paris, Texas on, um, they're they're more focused in a sense. They're less wandering. Um, uh, They employ slightly more conventional devices of suspense, of narrative drive. Um, Often there's some kind of uh, deadline that's there. So the character needs to do something by a certain time um, and and so forth. Uh, But I try to once more explain that um, a lot of these journeys can be seen as variations on the initial journey of uh, in Alice in the Cities. And I try to do this by returning again and again to the same four questions that I um, suggest are always pertinent to these films. We can always ask these films, um, who is the central protagonist? And, um, you know, who, who, is, who is being let out in, in this film? Where is this protagonist being led from? Uh, where, this, where is this protagonist being led to? And what is leading this person out? So insofar as we can understand all of these films using that same framework, 
I argue that they're all road films with this educational theme of education at the de- as destiny at their center. Do you consider that a film like um, Tokyo Ga mm-hmm. uh, fits this um, characterization? Yeah, so Tokyo Ga is a, is a really interesting case. Um, that too was a film that I really, uh, when I first saw it, uh, I, I really fell in love with it. And uh, I would, and, and actually it, it turned me on to the films of Yasujiro Ozu, uh, who's a favorite director of mine because of Vendor's uh, uh, bringing his work to my attention um, and eventually led me to making several trips to Japan just because I was intrigued by the world, uh, the wow. world that uh, the film uh, depicts. Just like Tokyo Ga. Exactly. Tokyo Ga. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, I, I take up Tokyo Ga in the following chapter in the, in the, um, because I try to argue that being a, a travelogue, being a non-fictional documentary film, it doesn't really fit in the road movie genre, uh, as I'm explaining it. Why? Because I think um, that in, in documentary film, in non-fictional film, even though you, you can certainly f- focus on the theme of journey, And in Tokyo Ga, you know, the, the central theme is, is Vim Vendors himself being inspired to travel to Japan by the, by the work of Yasujiro Ozu and to look for some of the same uh, parts of Japan or, or parts of Japanese life that he sees in Ozu's films. Uh, even though that's the theme, um, in some sense, uh, I argue... Uh, The film is less concerned with probing the imagination of a central protagonist. Uh, it's more interested in trying to show us um, objective parts of Japanese life. Um, here, too, right? We have to talk about um, matters of degree. I mean, um, Venders is a very eloquent speaker, and he, uh, he, he speaks very movingly about how much those films mattered to him and how much he um, finds in them traces of his own life, parts of his own family um, in, in the films of Ozu. But um, in a sense, it seems to me that the, the framework of a, of a documentary is, is taking us to, to look at uh, parts of the world out there and, and what's interesting about them, um, rather than trying to stimulate us to imaginatively project ourselves into some fictional story with its subjective experiences. So that's the slight difference that that I find. Okay. Um, and, and, to, and how do you conclude this uh, third chapter, genre contrasts? Yeah, so in the, in the genre contrasts, so I, I, as, you, as you point out, um, I, I spend a fair amount of time talking about Tokyo Ga, actually, and explaining why uh, that's not really a road movie. Um, and then I take up this theme of... Um, 
destiny. So I'm, I'm arguing that we can think of education as the realization of one's destiny. And of course, that sounds like um, it's very close to the notion of um, an experience where one realizes one's fate. And um, I, I rely a lot on the work of uh, Robert Pippin, who, who wrote this great book on uh, fatalism in film noir, uh, where Pippin uh, explains that uh, you know, one of the distinctive aspects of film noir as a genre is we see these characters struggling with the sense of fate. So I try to take this up and I try to explain how um, these road movies centered on destiny are different from film noirs centered on fate. Um, fate is, of course, much more tied to, um, to death and death, particularly as it's seen as, as the worst thing that can happen to us, the worst thing that can happen to one where one loses everything. Um, there's always, the, there's often in, in, in film noir, a, a character of the femme fatale who leads the, um, the gullible hero or the, uh, or the weak hero to his death, his doom. Um, and there's much more of a sense in which um, fate is tied in general to the sense of necessity. You know, all of us uh, will eventually die one way or another. And we could say that um, fate is, is a particular kind of trope or um, li literary or artistic device that emphasizes that feeling of necessity and, uh, and the sense that we are constrained by this, that we, are, um, that we suffer this necessity, that we struggle against it, but always in vain. Um, we're always defeated by it. So those are some of the thematics of fate and the film noir. Uh, but in contrast, I want to say, I want to suggest that the sense of destiny is, is tied more to the sense that we can author our lives, right? That we can start to um, make our lives more coherent by... Um, telling to ourselves, telling to others a story of how we got from one point to the next point, uh, a story in which there's a path uh, that we're on. Um, and that's what differentiates destiny from, from fate. So I discuss this in, in that chapter, and I end by finally talking about, um, you know, how... Bender's films differ from other road movies, but also in particular from um, the, the, um, the literary genre of the Bildungsroman, the, the, the novel of self-formation. Um, and maybe just to, uh, uh, to briefly summarize that, that section, right? I mean, the, the novel of self-formation always implies a notion of a life being finally formed. I mean, formation suggest an endpoint. Okay, so I'm finally myself. Whereas I think one of the interesting things about um, the, uh, the notion of education in these road movies is that it's always unfinished, right? It's always ongoing. Uh, it's always open-ended. So one is never fully formed. Um, uh, one is always on the way rather than... Uh, um, 
uh, rather than having one, one never reaches one's final destination. Now, um, what are the, the, the main ideas in the, in the, um, you express in the fourth chapter, education movies? Yeah, so that's, um, that's just to take up um, some additional films of vendors where um, road travel is, is not a prominent part of the story. Um, so, you know, we could be tempted to look at films like Wings of Desire or, um, let's see, what are some of the other, Palermo Shooting or Everything Will Be Fine. We're tempted to look at those films and say, well, uh, whatever these films are, they're not road movies. And, um, and it would seem that they have very little relationship to uh, the, the, the kinds of themes that I've been discussing um, earlier in the book. And so on the contrary, I, I try to um, explain how those themes are nevertheless there, how one can continue to ask the question, okay, who, who is being let out in these films? Um, where are they being led from? Where are they being led to? What is doing the leading? I, I, I argue that those questions are still salient for these films, but that the road is metaphorical. Um, there's, there's not a literal journey, but a kind of journey through time, through uh, circumstances, um, and so forth. And, uh, and then I end by, or actually I don't quite end, but I, I include in that film one of, the, his, one of Vendor's non-fictional films, um, The Salt of the Earth, which is a beautiful documentary. Uh, it's, um, it takes up the work of the um, photographer Salgado. Um, and uh, I try to argue that even though I just finished explaining some of the difference between uh, a non-fictional travelogue and, and the road movie, this movie, um, because it relies so heavily on Salgado's first-person narration, um, it does function in many ways, very close to a road movie, because we get caught up in his interior experiences of being on this journey um, that takes him through all these different communities, that takes him to a point in his life where he's sickened by the war and the violence that he sees. Um, he feels that his life no longer has much meaning because it's so helpless in the face of this. And then gradually he's healed by and is turned by um, this renewed contact with the natural world through um, uh, some of his photography. He, he, he begins to re-understand uh, or reconceive of his photographic vocation. So yeah, that's a, that's a summary of, of that chapter. So finally, education movies is um... A, a more inclusive uh, category, right? Right, right. Um, and uh, I think it starts to, it's inviting us to perhaps be interested in, in other films beyond vendors films, you know, and just start to ask ourselves, okay, what would it mean to look at movies with a particular interest in or an eye for this kind of drama of 
losing one's way and then finding one's path. Um, what are what are the many different ways in which this happens in cinema, and how can we all, in in some sense, um, uh, feel more supported in our own educations by um, uh, learning from that cinema, right? By uh, by uh, appreciating that cinema. And would you say that? Uh, um... Some Yasuhiro Ozu's films um, are related with this category of education movies? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Ozu's, uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, one of the things that that I love in Ozu's films, right, uh, it's a very almost Taoist vision of um, where... Uh, characters, uh, usually there's some kind of slight tension that emerges between um, a younger, you know, members of a younger generation and members of an older generation. And, and that friction uh, causes misunderstanding, causes a sense that people have become more isolated, less at home in the world, and so forth. Uh, that's where the drama is often rooted, it seems to me, in, in, in Ozu's film. And, of course, all of this is exacerbated by the growing modernization of Japan, uh, the American occupation, and so forth. Um, but the films always end with a, a kind of natural order reasserting itself. Um, this sense of uh, the character's finally remembering and reaffirming their place in the family, uh, the way in which the generations pass one to the next, uh, the way in which uh, older yields to the younger, the younger has to break free to some extent of the older, um, and, and so forth. That's how life renews itself. And uh, I always find... Uh, this very vividly expressed by the way in which Ozu films wind in, uh, in his films. I mean, there's these beautiful shots of wind blowing through the trees in Kamakura. And uh, you almost get this feeling of like, that's just the natural passing <laughs> of, of time. Yeah. yeah. Really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I love his films. Uh, absolutely. Um, now, um, let's move on to the um, next chapter, learning without education. Um, so this is a, the, the, the final, the final um, um, chapter of, of the book when you make, when you start to make um, some, some um, conclusions. Uh, what, what, what could you say that are the main um, insights and conclusions you, you achieve in this fifth um, chapter, learning without education. Yeah, so so really the point of this chapter is to try to sharpen the contrast between um, the, the, the kind of education that we see in vendors' films, this, this conception of education as destiny, as finding a sense of direction in one's life, try to sharpen the contrast between that and our more conventional notion of education as schooling. Because, um, you know, I'm, I'm conscious of the fact that a reader 
might uh, read the book up to that point and say, well, this is all very interesting, and uh, maybe I too like Vendor's films, but I'm not really convinced yet that this has anything to do with education. Um, Because when I think of education, we could imagine this reader saying, I I think of schools, and uh, I see no reason why I should change my mind about that. So uh, without going too much into the details in in this chapter, uh, Learning Without Education, I try to, first of all, uh, explore a little bit about why we might find school education at least to some degree unsatisfying, you know, Um, why the school education, even though we participate in it, even though it, it, it brings things into our lives, uh, changes us as, pe- as people and so forth, why we might nevertheless feel that, well, there was some part of my life that this school education didn't really address, didn't really help me with. And uh, to examine that, I, I talk about how school education uh you know, um, over the centuries has become more and more specialized. You know, uh, we, we see uh, curricula, classes, um, school policies more and more targeted to very, very specialized, specific things, uh, focused on the idea that, okay, um, in exchange for... Um, for financial support of one sort or another, we're going to offer these very particular goods to our students. We're going to help them learn how to become uh, brain surgeons or uh, film critics or whatever, right? Um, But what is never being addressed or very rarely being addressed, or if it's addressed at all, it's being addressed extremely indirectly, is... um, is the sense that all of our students are whole people. You know, they're living their lives as a whole, not simply as a brain surgeon or a film critic or uh, or, or what have you. Um, so how do we think of education being addressed to the whole person? Um, and... Um, in, in that chapter, I, I talk a little bit about why this may be unsatisfying, that our, our whole lives are, are, are not being addressed. Even when we talk or gesture towards this idea of lifelong learning, um, it seems as if that learning is always, yet again, always about learning specific, specialized things rather than about how to live one's life as a whole. And what this all ultimately suggests I, uh, I want to argue, is that um, our education, the education of our lives as a whole is actually taking place outside of schools. Um, and, you know, this is, uh, this is suggested by phrases like when we say, oh, life really taught me a lesson. You know, we're, we're talking about life as a whole, uh, teaching me something or educating me or or so forth. So all of this is a is kind of a plea to take seriously the notion that actually there may be an education that we're undergoing um, by life 
outside of the schools, outside of any kind of specialized system, and that one of the um, uh, the values of cinema, as well as all the other arts, is they give us these portraits of that kind of education happening to particular characters. Right, and then um, the last chapter, Coda. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's like I said, that was that's a little bit humorous. Uh, it was a, it was it was an attempt to return to the alien story. Uh, so now it's uh, um, now we get a letter that uh, um, some alien anthropologist slash policymaker is writing a politician back home as she is on her spaceship leaving Earth, right? So um, just to refresh our memories a little, uh, the, the, the opening story that I tell in this book is of these aliens who visit Earth, but they're, they're disgusted by our education system. They decide to leave uh, the planet and divest in Earth altogether. And, you know, they give up on us as hopeless. So here's this now um, alien uh, writing to a politician, alien anthropologist, and she's basically saying, wait, 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 hold on a second. Maybe I was wrong. Uh, maybe this planet and its inhabitants are not quite so hopeless. Uh, why is that? Well, first of all, um, I've talked to a few people, including people in their education system. And yes, even though it's a little, it's a little barbaric, this exchanging money for certain educational goods, um, there's actually a kind of unhappiness running through a lot of the people participating in this system, not just students, but also the professors. Um, teachers of one sort or another. All of these people are wondering, okay, um, how does, how do I make sense of my whole life, my vocation, and how does the work I do, the work that goes under the name education, actually help me do that? Um, they're not they're worried that it doesn't help them do that, but they're also wondering, is there something that could help them do that? And then secondly, this alien anthropologist continues, moreover, uh, in talking about uh, this with one of my, um, one of the subjects I'm studying, uh, he took me to this film festival um, of vendors movies. And, uh, you know, I saw all these films and I was shocked. I, I, why was I shocked? I was shocked because I saw what we call education being dramatically enacted in these movies. And so while the, the earthlings perhaps don't call this education and don't fully appreciate its weight, they can't help but be drawn to this in some way because... Um, because the, this film festival was packed, as it indeed was packed when I went to uh, see uh, Vendors Films in New York. Uh, it was hard to get a seat. They sold out uh, in a matter of hours. Um, so all of this is reason for hope, right? Reason for the possibility that maybe uh, 
um, professional educators have something to learn from the study of films like these of, of vendors. Well, Dr. Arcila, um, we've taken up a lot of your time. Before we end our interview, I wonder if you could tell us um, uh, um, maybe a, a final idea about the book and, and then uh, what research projects you are working on now. Yeah, no, this has been a real pleasure talking with you, Gustavo, and um, <laughs> I've, I've enjoyed myself. Thank you for your interest in, um, in, in these ideas. Um, so I am working on another book project right now, and it's focused on um, this conception of education movies. Um, as I've mentioned mm -hmm. in our discussion, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm very intrigued by the idea that there could be um, a body, that there is a body of film work out there that um, even though it doesn't nest, it's not familiarly connected with education, Um, but it nonetheless takes up these dramas, these stories of characters who, uh, from a condition of being somewhat lost in life, of wondering whether their life has a sense of direction and purpose, uh, eventually find a sense of direction in, in life, find a path, find a destiny. So I'm... I'm trying to see if I can identify a group of such films, put them in conversation with each other, uh, explain how this thematics is connected to uh, a way of thinking about education. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying myself. I invite your reader, if, if you have any uh, listeners who have any thoughts about possible candidates for some of these films. I'd love to hear <laughs> uh, <laughs> any suggestions. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to reading your, your, your new researchers and, and your new books, Professor Arcila. Thank you. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Um, all the luck and success for what is coming. Thank you, Gustavo. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much, Dr. Arcila. It was your host, Gustavo Gutierrez Suarez. See you on the next episode of New Books in Film. <laughs>